1: Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I am your host, Mary James, and I want to say thank you for joining us for today's conversation. During Let's Talk Wellness, we focus on healing, understanding, growth, and spirituality. This is part of the Hugsville Life Healing Center, a subsidiary of the nonprofit organization Extraordinary Lives Foundation, where we're devoted to supporting mental health awareness and providing resources for children and their families. Now, let's talk wellness with today's guest, Dr. Jerry Weikman. Dr. Weitman is a licensed adolescent psychologist and the founder of the Weitman Clinic at Hoag Neurosciences Institute. Welcome Dr. Weichman.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: It's such an honor to have you. And um, yeah, it's been a while. I haven't seen you since pre-COVID. Um, so can you share with us first why you, um, how psychology came to you?
2: Um, yeah, so I took a class my junior year of high school and didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I, I was starting to hit that kind of stage of life where you're trying to think about what you want to do. You're applying to colleges. You want to be able to know a little bit of what you might major in. And I took an intro class my junior year of high school to psychology. And I came out of it thinking, pretty cool. Study people, life, people say I'm easy to talk to uh, but that's really as far as it went. And then I played football and I went to college. And um, when I was up in college, I realized I looked around and I saw just how much better it felt. You know, you have so many people that are less concerned about what year you are in school. You see athletes hanging out with emo kids, and the whole thing together was just so much better. And I knew that. That was started me going with psychology and, you know, looking back at, I want to help these kids that are in middle school and high school get through some of the most challenging times they will ever have in their life to get, to have an opportunity to get to a place like this.
1: I love that. So I love that you use your personal story to uh, do it now, what you're passionate about. And then, so tell us also how you developed the Whiteman Clinic at the Hope Hospital.
2: Uh, so that was the sum of a lot of years of looking at what's the problem and kind of how to fix it. I came over, Hoag was looking for a top specialists in their fields when they were building the Neuroscience Institute in 2010. And sometime after that, I realized there's just gaping holes in child and adolescent treatment. You have lack of communication amongst providers. You've got a psychologist here, a psychiatrist there, a pediatrician over here. Uh, rarely do they have regular communication or communication at all. They have typically have differing opinions of what the primary issues are. Mm -hmm. And so family really runs around like a chicken without a head and it wasn't effective. There was also a lot of people that were treatment providers out there that really weren't identifying what was really primary with the case and with the kid. And so they were instead chasing byproduct issues and throwing stuff at a wall to see what would stick. And that's how you end up getting eight, 12 months into therapy and you really don't see any market improvement. And so it was the sum of a lot of the issues that I was seeing, as well as people not treating an entire family system. Now, being sure that the parents are on board with the child and they're both getting assistance on how to make things better and realign. That really brought me to create the Weichmann Clinic and it took two years. And now we're set up and we've been, I think we're on our ninth year right now. Where we have all child and adolescent specialists, and they all have subspecialties where, you know, some people have everybody's child and adolescent focus, but they some special in autism or LGBTQA issues or trauma or sports psych or whatever the issue is. We're able to get people paired up with the right provider as well as treat the family system where the parents are on the hook for a certain number of sessions, the kids are as well. And we also have a full array of other services here that we can bring into a case as needed, whether it be neuropsychological assessment and testing, uh, psychiatry, neurology, family therapy, parenting, even couples counseling for the people that are already here with us. Because what we realize is if you can identify what's going on, what the problems are, and have top specialists come on a team to turn the case around, it has a very high likelihood of being successful and fortunately a lot of our cases have been successful.
1: That's amazing and it sounds like so you definitely work together as a team with the therapists to make sure. It's
2: really it's been a big benefit to have everybody under one roof with a common goal of really primarily being there to want to make a difference that's been the most important thing for me you know, you know, you don't want people that have egos or are primarily here financial for financial reasons. It's really important to find the right fit for the right concept. And I feel like we've we've done a pretty good job of that to date.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I always um, say, like, the more you refer out, the more you are in. And it's just about really helping the patient, not about, you know, your wallet or your ego. So that's a beautiful philosophy. So now post-COVID, have you seen a big change in uh their patients? Uh,
2: unfortunately, yes. Uh, I feel like we knew we were heading into this after the pandemic because like, there's a reason when you know you go to jail, the worst punishment you can have is solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Not good things happen. And you know, you're sitting in a cell for 23 hours a day. You have uh, a lot of thoughts and they're usually not good thoughts. And it makes even you know, the worst criminals want to get out of there. And so I knew we were dealing with something along those lines combined with the kids were going to atrophy a lot. They're going to atrophy academically, socially, athletically. And my concern was when it was time to go back, they were just going to open the floodgates again and say, OK, everybody back. And that's what they did. And a lot of the kids made it. Two months, four months, six months, but then we saw this big crash and burn, which we expected because they had atrophied so much during that time period; they just couldn't sustain it. And you know, even past that, what we're we've been seeing over the past eight to twelve months, or at least eight months, is uh, parents that are burning out because mm. they're less on top of their game, they're less proactive. Uh, they used to see slight issues with their kids and be really concerned, and say, "We got to he- got it get ahead of this." And we saw a lot less of that this year. And what it indicated to me was that parents didn't get a break during that time period. In fact, during COVID, it was way more stressful and worse for them because it was a scary time, and we the unknown created a lot of stress and anxiety for all of us, but parents also had to learn how to pivot and do online work and all these other responsibilities they weren't accustomed to. And then when the floodgates opened for them, it was, okay, everybody's back to club soccer in Riverside and running around like crazy people. And so there really hasn't been a break for anybody, and the more people I'm talking with in our field, the everybody's seeing the same thing, which is we've never seen... Uh, child and adolescent mental health this bad. It was poor before the pandemic started, but we're concerned about just families now. And we don't even think we've come close to hitting the peak of this thing yet.
1: Yeah, so you see, what do you envision for the future?
2: Um, My hope is that things, people start learning how to navigate themselves and their wives better and that we see a reduction. I mean, my ultimate goal is to (laughs) work myself out of a job. Um, so people ask how, if we're really busy, I say, yes, unfortunately we are really busy.
1: Wow. But do you think that the mental health from the children from post pandemic has hit rock bottom yet? Or do you think we're still on a downward?
2: It, unfortunately, I feel like this wave still climbing for us. And, yeah. you know, I think that everybody's just trying to grit and get through the day, make it to the end of the day. Um, a lot of, a lot of things that they used to care about are kind of put to the side as far as we for parents it's you know hygiene or getting exercise or time with my friends they've done a lot to not put that air mask more on themselves now than they ever have been before and you know i think everybody's having a tough time just with all the different things that have happened over not just the past two three years but the past five to seven years with elections and polarizations and you know we haven't had the stability that we've been accustomed to for many, many, many years. And that constant instability will create this kind of helplessness feeling, this, what we call the stymia, which is a low-grade depression that all day, every day you can function, but the energy, motivation, and focus that you've been accustomed to just isn't there. Do
1: you think that happened at, like from 9-11,
2: possibly? Well, you know, I think looking back on it, it, it yes, possibly, but also there was, uh, things were different then we were definitely not as polarized or opinionated or about ourselves as we are today. And, you know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, 9-11 was awful and it's marked in history books forever and burned in our memory banks for those that were there that day. But 912, 12 9-13, those were great days in a way, just because everybody put their differences aside, it was about being one person and being a country. And it wasn't about what I believe. And it felt better to me, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And it is. um, Oh, gosh, yeah, there's a lot more fear, a lot more anger. Uh, It's, yeah, (laughs) I have to think that we're just on uphill climb. Um, You shared something with me the other day about helping children, families, know that they might be temporarily stuck, but it's not a lifetime predicament. Can you share with us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. so in the majority of cases when you're looking at, you know, your average mental health issues, whether it be depression or anxiety, stress, self-esteem, you know, these aren't to me, just lifelong disabilities. you know, these are issues that we all experience. I mean, Part of what we have to understand is how teach our kids to have a greater understanding of what mental health issues actually are. They, a lot of them look at it as, you know, a debilitating. This is me. This is part of my identity. I'm stuck with this when things start to happen. But, you know, I really do believe that, you know, these are situations that if you're human, you're going to have mental health issues at times. We all go through periods of stress, of anxiety, of depression it's not that these things occur, it's you have the tools to navigate them. And that's what we really have to do, I believe, a bigger push for is teaching both parents and kids at a, as early as possible in life, the tools that they're going to need to navigate these issues when they arise.
1: Yeah. And um, for prevention, how young do you think we can start with prevention?
2: I think you can start as soon as the kids can understand concepts. You know, I the think baseball. that- uh, Yeah. I think a lot of these kids learn through repetition. It's not just one big conversation. So, you know, we don't want to be able to have 30 second conversations with kids. It's too long for them, Mm. but just being able to sprinkle the seeds of mental health around them throughout their development, I think makes a huge difference for them because eventually those seeds sprout.
1: Yeah. I love that. What do you think about using the word, words um, like emotional wellness versus mental health for young kids, more for the parents and their fear than for the children?
2: You know, to me, it's neither here nor there, to be honest with you. I think that mental health is 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 a constant fluid situation for all of us. We have good days. We have bad days. We have yeah. days we feel happier. we We feel sad. And so it's less about having a title or being concerned about how you label it and more about how do you fix it
1: right I love that and you said that you have um, some actions that you think that you recommend for children and then also if you have advice for family to help their younger children to better themselves to help them feel better you know giving them that toolkit so they can get through the day each day
2: yeah, so You know, look, some of the foundational principles of mental health, you know, the first one would be uh, resilience, you know, being able to understand that life gets tough, you have to mentally get tougher. I really do believe that God or life or whatever you believe, in doesn't give us something ultimately that we can't handle. And what's dropped in our lap is not meant for us to be overwhelmed by or down about. It's meant for us to overcome, learn and j- change and grow from. And in doing so, it leads us to who we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to be next in our life. You know, these are just hurdles. And so, you know, teaching our kids to get that fire in their belly and to not give up because, you know, there's also the offshoot of what giving up does is you can trace suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts back to giving up because when the kids give up, I mean, everybody has periods where they give up, but if they give up for a long period of time, then what starts to happen is they start to get emotionally overwhelmed and flooded with depression and anxiety and stress. And when that happens, they get emotionally overwhelmed. When that happens, their brain starts figuring out ways out of this. And if they don't have tools to navigate it, then the natural default setting is going to be suicidal thoughts, which is not a huge concern. It's more of an indication that the kids are overwhelmed emotionally with what's going on. It's the kids that are putting a plan together of how they're going to do it that are the really, really big red flags for us. But I think resilience is a huge tool. Uh, I really do think that the way we look at situations has a profound impact on who we are and how we see the world and how we feel every day. Uh, There's so much that's going on that's outside of our control, but all these things that are occurring all have positives and negatives within them. And if we want to get ahead on mental health, it's the lenses that we choose to look at situations with that have a direct impact on our thoughts, which then create our emotional feelings and situations. And so really helping our kids and obviously we have to practice what we preach and model this for them, but being able to identify and challenge ourselves and our kids to find what's the positive in that situation and not let them off the hook until they can find it because it has a profound effect on how you feel because life and people don't control how we feel we do. And we really want to empower people and the kids especially to learn how to take control over what's going on inside of them, which is where their control lies. Um, You know, I think other things that are really important here are the way that we, where our energy goes every day. You know, I personally feel like for a number of reasons over the past five to 10, 15 years, that we have become so much more self-absorbed and really selfish as a society. It's about me, what my problem is, what I believe. And society doesn't work well and when everybody's doing that. We're not who we're supposed to be. I mean, you know, if you look at how you have purpose and meaning in life, it doesn't come from we know what you accomplish, it's who you're here for. Right. So part of what I believe also has to happen is the energy has to go out towards other people trying to make a difference for them in their lives and that purpose and meaning and who you touch is an opportunity regardless of what you do for work or if you're young and you don't have a job to be able to make a difference in the world every day and it also makes it so that we're not self-consuming that energy which then creates and spins a vortex of our thoughts and our negative you know self-loathing or doing an itemized list of what's wrong in our life. And that just serves to make us feel worse. We get a break from that when we're focused on others.
1: I love that. Um, yeah, the gratitude sometimes missing. At, you know, we're like, why me? Why me? Um, I always thought it'd be great in kindergarten if we could have like the kindergartens get into groups and do projects. Even if they're doing a bake sale and raising five cents for an animal shelter, right? Always doing for others. But, you know, a lot of times you are the parents see some of the things what you're saying is so amazing, and your kids are blessed to have you. Um, my kids were raised more in parents that um, weren't that um, well versed with mental health and just how to talk about emotions. So, part of the problem is the parents that didn't learn it, how do they teach it to their children? And maybe it has to be taught in schools. What would you suggest well, there?
2: You know, I think we put a lot of sometimes undue stress and pressure on the expectations of what the schools are responsible for. Mm-hmm. I, I really do feel like, you know, we didn't have good mental health tools up until recently, really. And so, you know, the boomers didn't have an idea of how to navigate mental health well. And the the, the greatest generation before them definitely didn't have an idea of how to navigate mental health well. Um so I think for parents today, it's really about getting educated. And what do we actually do? What do we start doing from the beginning as early as possible? I mean, I've realized in doing this for 23 years and seeing well over 6,000 families that there's a really a huge population of really good people out there that are parents. They just don't know what's going on or be what to do about it. And if you can give them an education in what's happening and teach them how to navigate it, their soldiers, a lot changes for them and for their family. And it, and it works out well.
1: That, yeah. Um, yes, that's, <laughs> we were blessed to have a great parenting coach because our middle child was diagnosed with Asperger's and ADHD. And of course this parenting, you know, helped with not only with him, but with our other two children. Um, So I love that you started with resilience and we want to hear more about um, ways to help our children. But we're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back.
0: In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and today we're speaking with our guest, Dr. Jerry Weichman. Dr. Weichman is a licensed adolescent psychologist and the founder of the Weichman Clinic at the Hogue Neurosciences Institute. Welcome back, Dr. Weichman. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So you gave us some really good information um, previously, and we you started speaking about resilience. Is there anything else you want to add there, or was there something else you could share with parents to help? building their kids
2: up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many important mental, te- mental health tools that we need to teach our kids that are out there. And, you know, another one that I would definitely put in there is making sure that we get daily exercise and kids today are not nearly getting enough exercise. And, you know, whether you're getting an intent, you need, we all need an intensive 45, 30 to 45 minutes at least, because if we're getting our exercise, I mean, we're we need to move. Just we we walk the dog. The dog needs the walk, right? We're we're just like that in a sense because we have a certain amount of energy. That energy needs to be used for productivity. And if we can get exercise, regardless of how that is, whether it's our kids are working with trainers or they're playing sports or they're out for a bike ride for 45 minutes, but it's got to be something intensive because as soon as a single bead of sweat starts to form, the, an entire chemical reaction takes place which is we, we, we release more dopamine, more serotonin. We release more endorphins. It helps us with, and our kids with better focus, motivation, energy. It reduces depression and anxiety. There's so many benefits and it's really become our daily medicine. And we have a tendency to become a little bit more sedentary in society just because of devices and screens and both adults and kids. And so if we're, our kids aren't, you know, athletes that are playing sports every day, we still have to supplement because it's really become our modern day medicine.
1: Wow. So 30 to 45 minutes. And regardless of the age of the child.
2: Yeah. I mean, the more, obviously kids are wired. They're like puppies, little ones. They need to be at the park and playing, you know, for an hour plus they're, And they would love to do that but we've gotta be able to facilitate it as early as possible and keep it going. You know, the more active we are, the better things are gonna be just from a mental health standpoint.
1: Right, and what are you, any suggestions about what they should or shouldn't be eating?
2: Um, You know, I am not a dietitian or nutritionist, Mm -hmm. and so I really can't speak that well to that. We've seen certain kids that have had dietary changes that made a difference, and we've seen some where they did that and it didn't. So really, I can't really speak to that. I know that sleep is another one for people that is important. The kids are getting a lot less sleep uh, per week than they should. And it varies between what age and stage of development your kid is in. But when they start hitting the adolescent years, you know, they need a minimum of eight to 10 and most kids are getting anywhere. We see between four and maybe six. So what, we know so far is that sleep is cumulative. So, you know, if they're getting two hours less sleep per day by Friday, they're 10 hours deficient in sleep. There's no way that sleeping in on Saturday, if they have the opportunity until 12 or one is going to catch them up. And I'm also reading a lot of studies in neuroscience about how there's strong correlations between that prolonged sleep exposure over periods of decades that, have high correlations with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. So yeah. there's a chance that on the back end, we really pay for this. And so I what I coach most parents on is we've got to treat you know, pre-adolescence and adolescence like we did when they were newborns, which yeah. is we protected their sleep back then. That was extremely important for us because of their development and how it impacted them. And it's still the same thing. And these kids are still growing a brain. So, you know, I think that sleep is a a real big factor and it's impeded by a lot of different things today. You know, we didn't have the distractions that this generation of kids does with smartphones and computers and gaming systems that have really in a lot of ways been designed to be addictive by nature. Mm. So we've got kids with partially myelinated frontal lobes with intentionally addictive devices and so of course it's not going to go well from a productivity standpoint we see a lot more lack of focus a lot more procrastination and a huge impact on sleep
1: wow what did you suggest to parents that they take their children's phones away at night
2: well I think that part when they're younger I mean our goal as parents when the kids are younger is to keep them safe and teach them about life right and when they're it's still the same thing when they're adolescents but we also have to keep in mind that we're trying to pair now prepare them for launching into life so there has to be a shift from you know your phone gets charged in our room and you know this is what time lights out is and forcing them as they start if they're on going to leave your home and maybe go away to college then somewhere around their their junior or senior year, there has to be some type of a transition created so that they learn how to navigate these things for themselves so that when you jettison them out into the world, they have a much better idea of how to navigate things and how things impact them.
1: Love it. okay, what else we have resilience, daily intense exercise, sleep, and what else do you have for that list?
2: Uh, well, I think that there's also you know we all struggle with control issues more now than ever so than before i think that we see a tendency of uh, a big source of people's stress or depression or anxiety stemming from focusing on things that are outside of their control and when you do that it's a square peg ground hole you're going to increase stress you're going to increase anxiety you're going to increase depression and so you know we really got to bring people back to what you can control and anybody hasn't figured this out yet it's you can only control in this world how you react and respond to the things that occur combined with the effort that you put forth into things i mean that's really it and so we've got to be able to be mindful of that and work from there rather than chasing so many things that are going on outside of us that create so much more havoc and chaos and increase mental health problems
1: Oh, just the thought of that, um, I'm luckier, my children are 22 and older, but trying to control, I guess, using that word, uh, your children. Um, have you seen a lot of issues with that? Because I could just imagine that being a problem. You know, the parents feel out of control themselves, and they're trying to control the child, and then the child resents it, and it creates this animosity. Have you seen a lot yeah. of
2: that? Yeah. and. and- to be, to be frank, I mean, you know, what I tell those kids that have parents like that, look, your parents don't wake up in the, in the morning and say, Hey, let's go screw with our kid. Right. It's, it's coming out of love and concern in most cases that those things occur, but yes, you know, you can grab things too tightly and spend too much time worrying about what's out there and, and what could happen. And, and I think that part of what we need to do as parents is understand that if we're chasing the environment, it's going to create a lot of stress and anxiety for us. I've seen it time and time again in here. And it's really about holding our, our kid accountable to themselves regardless of where they go. You know, what are our family values? What are our expectations? What's going to happen if you don't do these things and you break those expectations and give them a little bit of a freedom to navigate it themselves before and allow them to hit those lines before we come in with discussions and consequences for their actions.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've seen, I was working with a family and um, you know, the woman, her son threw the TV outside the window. And I saw how it was escalating from the parent's side and her child was similar to mine. And, you know, when a child's very black and white thinking or, you know, very, um, geometrical and you're trying to push them too much outside of their limits it just you know backfires
2: um well you know sometimes that'll backfire they'll backfire even if you're not pushing them it's just bad day and they accumulate a lot and repress and stuff a lot of how they're feeling and one small thing like picking up the wet towel on the floor it could have a huge explosion and you know it, it it's not even close to what the reaction should be for the situation but Things have a tendency to get hot and elevated. And as parents, we have to learn how to back away from those situations and let the dust settle because you can't be rational with irrational people, regardless of who that is. And if you hang in there as a parent through that, there's going to be a much higher likelihood of them elevating, the kid elevates, the kid elevates, just gas on a fire. And everything that happens in a family system is like throwing a rock into a still pond, the ripples will hit all the banks. and. You know, the other kids, if there's other kids in the house, feel the ripple effects of that. If I mean even the dog, if you know if you've ever been in a situation like this, the dog will tuck its tail and creep out of the room because it just feels awful for everybody.
1: Right. Oh wow. Yeah, the children too. Um, gosh, there's something to say about that. Uh, definitely interesting. what do you think? Yeah, like these children, do you see them being very empathic, like very sensitive to the energy that's going on in the house? Um, my parents. You know, I think them. that yeah, different
2: kids are different, you know, and they have different levels. they come into the world with different levels of resiliency, of sensitivity. And what I can tell you is that the the big-hearted, the super sweet gooey kids, it's a blessing and a curse. you know, it's a it's a blessing because whoever is closest to them throughout their entire life, whether it be best friends, a partner, kids, they're going to feel like they hit the jackpot. But the flip side of that is they're also sponges for everything that occurs in the environment. So if you're yelling at another kid and it has nothing to do with them, this kid has a tendency to absorb that and hold that. And they kind of get hardened with it over time. And um, so, you know, it only as a parent, you know your kid better than others, but the sensitive kids are going to need more coaching on how to navigate the smaller things that occur and the, and the continued challenges that come their way.
1: Did you say soft gooey? Did
2: yeah, you know? soft and gooey. I love that.
1: Soft and gooey, I love that, yeah. Yeah, these uh, children, we had um, a, a teen that was in high school and he couldn't take a test. He had so much anxiety in the classroom. So we suggested he take it in another room by himself and he was fine. It's like he was absorbing all the energy, the anxiety around him. So really interesting. Um, And what you said before, also, I love it. Like when something's going on with the child, instead of just jumping, giving that child that time out, the parent taking that time out, which is so challenging, especially when uh, parents always think that they're right. Do you ever recommend that for parents?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the ultimate challenge is not, can you control your kids in this life? It's, can you control yourself through this crazy process as a parent? As a father of three myself, I mean, everybody is guilty of not being able to keep it together. But the more discussions we have, the more information we have provided, the closer we can get to being able to maintain more stability. Because as a parent, whether you're a single parent or you're parenting with somebody else, we're the foundation of our kids' lives. You know, we create that stability or we can upend that stability based off of how we are.
1: Right, Um, another question. So when the children start to pull away from their parents, you know, as they're growing older, in their teens, is there any advice that you have for parents to help build or strengthen the trust that they have with their children?
2: Well, you know, I think that first of all, this is natural. And really, if your focus is on your kids and getting them ready for life, even though it does hurt your heart when these things, when it starts to head down this road, It's actually really good for them. It's the separation and individuation. They're getting ready to create distance so that they can go out into the world. And so, you know, you're in a better position as a parent with that and they can't wait to leave your home than you are a kid that doesn't want to leave and doesn't want to leave you. And it doesn't feel like they're ready for the world. And so um, those things can be really challenging for parents. But I also think that, like, you want to be able to, maintain your relationship to some extent with your kids so whether that's dates that you go on with your kids it's getting breakfast before school or lunch after school small things can establish that relationship and I think that really uh touch and communication it's not even about the communication as much as it is about hugging and touching our kids still don't let them push you away don't say oh get off of me you know, just don't look. This is how it's going to be until you leave our home. Sorry, I love you so much. Just putting your hand on their shoulder for a second and a half as they go by without having to say anything communicates I'm here for you. I've got you. I love you.
1: That is so beautiful. What happens when you have a child that's on the spectrum that won't allow you to touch them?
2: Well, that's a little bit different, right? Yeah. So if that's something that's going to activate them, then you have to find other ways to connect in the ways that they will receive that connection. Right. So, I mean, sometimes the apple falls far from the tree and sometimes a banana drops out. And Mm -hmm. so depending on how many kids you have, you got to be able to be aware of who you're in front of, because parenting is definitely not a one size fits all.
1: (laughs) The one of the most beautiful yet challenging jobs of a person's lifetime, for sure. Um it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we go in addition to of course how they can get in touch with you and with the clinic?
2: no this is look this is one of these situations I found with parenting is is it's, it's, it's a, a very long process and it's a it, it's thankless in a lot of ways and you sacrifice so much uh, whether it's time with your spouse you know your your career, your money but the sacrifices that you make for these kids will get them through the darkest times and provide that structural support that they need to get through them. And many won't realize this until they're well down the line, usually in their early to mid-20s. But most of them typically do circle back to you with love and support for all the sacrifices that you made. So hang in there and keep doing the great job. Um If you want to find me uh, at all, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Jerry Weichman, just D-R Jerry Weichman. And also I will, I too will be having a podcast coming out in the next couple of months called Raising Teens with Dr. Jerry Weichman. And if you're interested in that, it'll be on Instagram where you can find me and get notifications about that.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. I think that'll be great because that's exactly what society needs right now. And we'll also list your information in this show Link. So that would be great. Well, Dr. Jerry Wakeman and our friends out there, thank you and don't ever ever forget that you are amazing.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, We invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.